Welcome to the Know It Some podcast, bringing you the widest variety of conversational interviews for a well-rounded perspective on life. Because while it's true, nobody likes a know-it-all, it's also good to know it some. Here's your host, Steve Platt. That's right. Welcome back to another episode of the Know It Some podcast. I'm your host, Steve Platt, and we have a few announcements before we start. One is that we've been added to a number of podcast platforms now. So we're not just on Apple and Spotify or Google Podcasts, but we're on 14 different platforms now. Most recently, we've been added to Pocket Cast, Overcast, uh, Stitcher, uh, Audible, and Amazon. So we're on 14 different ones. If you, if your preferred listening platform does not carry us yet, you need to send us a DM. We're at Know It Some Pod on Twitter and Know It Some Pod on Instagram. Um, you're going to want to reach out to us. We'll get on there. But that's all thanks to you guys that we're on pretty much every major platform you can think of. They carry us, and that's due to your support. If you've left us a five-star review on Apple, amazing. If you haven't, please do so because that's helping us book incredible, interesting guests like this week's guest. My guest this week is Hannah Romer. She is a Marine Corps veteran, served in Iraq. She's also an incredible mother of two, Marine Corps spouse. Her husband has also served in Iraq. Um, and all I can say about them is that they're role models for my wife and I. They're incredible parents. Their kids are amazing. I hope Sophia grows up to be like their kids. Um, and I am just in awe of her story. You'll hear emotion in her voice and some emotion in my voice during this interview because we touch on some heavy stuff. It's a pretty deep interview, and, and at the same time, it barely scratches the surface of the obstacles and challenges that face uh, service members and veterans that we must overcome um, that a lot of people just don't really even know about or think about. Um, and we, we didn't really cover her time in Iraq and what that was like. We didn't really cover you know, much of, of the PTSD issues that she has had to deal with um, or that her spouse has had to deal with. There's a lot we haven't covered in this interview, and it's because no matter how long you, you, you talk to somebody, there's there's going to be a tremendous amount more that, that goes untouched, right? So it was a pretty deep interview, probably um, one of the realest interviews you're going to hear on this podcast. And yet, you know, like I said, uh, we could have probably talked for hours more, um, and uh, and that's the the great thing about veterans is we all have a story. Her story is incredible. Um, her husband will guest on the podcast uh, down the line, and his story is incredible as well. Uh, but all I can say is you guys are in for a real treat. You're gonna hear a little bit of what it's like uh, to serve in the military, and and maybe some of the not so glamorous parts of serving in the military. I think a lot of the listeners who have served will definitely identify with this episode. And I'm, I'm very proud of this one, guys, uh, because it's a, it's a great friend of mine and a great conversation, and I'm happy to share it with you. So here we go, episode 11, Hannah Romer. Hannah? Yep. Hey, welcome to the Know It Some podcast. I appreciate you being here. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Thanks. Um, you and I served together. I actually served under you in the Marine Corps. Um, I, I was like a Lance Corporal and a Corporal um, when you were a Staff Sergeant towards the end of your career. 
yes. at your end of your active duty career. Um, but when I started this podcast, you were one of the first people I thought of in terms of I really want to get her as a guest. Oh, and, that's awesome. <laughs> and 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 uh, the reason why is, you know, you are probably one of the most interesting people that I know. You have this incredible <laughs> story where where, you know, your life is is very unique. Um, you're a military veteran, a, a combat veteran. And um, and then you're married to an active duty uh, uh, Marine who served in combat as well. Yes. Um, so you've seen both sides of that coin, you know, you've been deployed and then you've, you know, taken care of a child while your spouse is deployed, um, right. you know, which is very, very unique. Why did you join the Marine Corps? Could you give us a little bit of, of color about your background, you know, uh, where, where you grew up and, and how the Marine Corps came into the picture? Yeah, so I'm from College Station, Texas. Um, It's a town just north of Houston. Um, If you know anything about college football, it's where Texas A&M is at. And um, my parents are immigrants from South Korea. They immigrated here back in the late 70s, early 80s. I don't know exactly when, but um, I grew up in a pretty traditional Korean household. If you want to think of Korean stereotypes and like the tiger mom, that was my parents. And so... (laughs) basically my childhood, they were kind of grooming me for college and getting me ready for success, like going the doctor route, the lawyer route. And um, I'm a firstborn uh, in Mm -hmm. my entire family, like the first grandchild, (laughs) you know, that was born in America. And so I think when I went to high school, I kind of went through a rebellious stage where I was just kind of over it. And, um, I was like, I'm not going to do what you guys want for me. I'm just going to, I'm going to do my own thing. And in high school, I started getting um, interested in ROTC programs. I started looking at them through college and my parents were at first against it, but because it was, I was like, okay, well then I'm going to enlist. And that was like a, a hell no for my parents. <laughs> so their compromise was okay if you go to college, then we'll let you do ROTC and then commission. And, um, I actually applied to the Citadel. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I applied for the NROTC scholarship, um, Mm -hmm. my senior year of high school. And, um, I did, I got rejected from the Citadel. Mm -hmm. And then, um, before I submitted my NROTC scholarship, I started talking to a Marine recruiter and, um, (laughs) They found you. Yeah. And I actually, I, I knew I didn't want to tell my parents. And so this is my senior year of high school. And this is probably around March. I had just turned 18. And so I didn't need parental consent at that point. So I basically lied to my parents and I told them <laughs> I did the one day MEPS thing where you go to MEPS on a Saturday and you take your ASAP and your physical all in one day. Okay. And I told my parents I had a track meet and out of town and my parents never came to my track meets so they were just like okay whatever and um (laughs) went to meps oh and that's a crazy thing is for my security clearance not american born citizens are naturalized i needed their naturalization certificates and so i had to get it from them somehow i didn't know where they kept them and so i told my i asked them um i told them i was doing a government project and oh, wow. it would be really cool to show my class. 
<laughs> and they were like, okay. And they handed me their legal documents that show their citizenship. And I took it to MEPS with me. And That's pretty um, smart. Yeah. And then I broke the news to them probably, I think in May, the month I was about to graduate. Cause I was like, oh gosh, I'm going to boot camp in July. And <laughs> they're going to notice like, you missing maybe for 13 <laughs> weeks. <laughs> yeah. And then on. And it was not good. You know, mm-hmm. my, there were, there was a lot of yelling and, uh, my mom kicked me out of the house for the day. She was like, you need to leave. <laughs> and, you know, but oh, boy. yeah, so that's kind of my backstory on how I ended up enlisting in the Marines. And my parents ended up becoming very supportive. Um, they came to right. my boot camp graduation. And I think boot camp graduation, every parent, like when oh, they yeah. see their kid at the end of a journey like that, all it, there's not a single parent who has never said, I'm not proud of, you know, their accomplishment thus far. And so, um, and I think my parents kind of knew at that point that uh, I was, I probably wouldn't have made it through college if I would have gone right out of high school. I wasn't mature enough. I had a lot of growing to do. Um, So I think they realized that. Right. And, and then, you know, once you graduated boot camp, you ended up as an aviation ordinance man, correct? Yes. And then you went through your schooling and everything. Where, where was your first duty station? Was it near, near the, uh, near where your parents were or was it no. uh, a little further? <clears throat> uh, my very first duty station was Miramar, California, um, in San Diego. And, <laughs> um, couldn't have asked for a better first duty station. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful there. The base is great. Um, so yeah, that was my first duty station. That's, and I loved that's it. phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, a great place to be. You know, the weather's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you can't yeah. ask for a better first duty station. Um, I was lucky enough that uh, the whole time that I was stateside, anytime I wasn't deployed was was there in Southern California. And, um, you know, oh, that's yeah. you, you get lucky with that. Um, other yep. folks get 29 palms or, or Yuma. Uh, yeah, Yuma. <laughs> Where, uh, I'm sure you're thrilled uh, to be leaving uh, Yuma right now. Um, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Um, so then a little later in your career, I'm going to fast forward you uh-huh. uh, quite a bit because you, I, I believe you were in Japan, right? And, and mm-hmm. then um, in uh, North San Diego County at, at Camp Pendleton. Yeah. Um, you end up meeting your husband who right. is also a Marine. How did that happen? Um, so right after I got back from, uh, my last deployment to Iraq, um, I came back and decided that I was going to go on recruiting duty. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but <laughs> actually, I mean, I, I did because I, that's what I needed to get promoted. But, um, right. so before you go on recruiting duty, you have to, you know, you in the Marine Corps, you're familiar with how anytime before you go somewhere else, they make you finish all what we call greenside training, which is running your physical fitness test and getting your rifle qualification up to date. Mm-hmm. Um, because on recruiting duty, you won't get to, well, at least the rifle range, you don't get to go to the rifle range for three years. So I had to go to the range and um, I met my husband on Edson range at Camp Pendleton. <laughs> um, we actually had a mutual friend and while we were snapping or I don't know, if, I don't know who listens to this. So if they're not familiar <laughs> with the military, I'm like snapping in. There, it's like the there are before. only a couple of veterans so far. Okay. Um, so the week, civilians. so the week before we actually shoot, we practice and get comfortable with the weapon 
um, before we go to the range. So that's what snapping in is. Yep. And um, he came up to me. He's like, hey, do you know so-and-so? I was like, I was like, oh, yeah. And I looked and I was like, oh, I've seen you. Like I had seen him around. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, hey. And um, that whole week and then the week after on the range, he would walk back and forth with me to the armory and he would wait for me at the armory and we would just talk. And, you know, the process of cleaning weapons is very oh. tedious. <laughs> yeah. And but that was a really great time for us to talk because we would just yeah. be in the armory just cleaning our weapons after shooting. And, you know, that's a good couple hours of just. Yep. You're not going anywhere for a while. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, we started talking and then he, we started dating and then got married like six weeks later. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Um, so, so that's a pretty whirlwind, um, you know, engagement, uh, period. Right. Right. Um, let, let me, let me ask. So having been a combat veteran yourself and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you were in Iraq, right. Mm -hmm. Um, then becoming a wife and becoming a mother and being on, on that side of things, you were still active duty, but now you're raising a kid and your husband deploys. How, what, what is that like? What are some of the emotions? Um, and and what was that experience like? Um, so Nick deployed while, um, I was on recruiting duty and my daughter was six months old. And he went to Afghanistan. That was his first deployment to Afghanistan. And um, I, that was really hard for me. I, I now looking back know that I had postpartum depression, mm-hmm. but I didn't know it at the time. I just thought I was sad because my husband deployed. Right. Because it just kind of everything in my life was just kind of chaotic. So I was just like, well, I'm feeling this way because obviously, but um, that probably made it worse. And um, recruiting duty is also an extremely demanding duty. Right. Um, and so I had this six month old and I'm like dropping her off at daycare and go- running to the office and sometimes picking her up from daycare and bringing, bringing her back to the office so I could finish working. Um, also, I recruited in South Orange County and the MEPS, which is a processing station when you enlist, was up in L.A., and oh. so if we want to get our applicants up there to take their physical, it's a good, it's a two hour drive from where my office was. And so sometimes it was 3 a.m. that I had to wake up to take applicants up to L.A. And we take Through government- L.A. traffic. Like- yeah. <laughs> and then we take a government vehicle. So a big thing was I was like, OK, I have a baby and there's no daycares open at 3 a.m. And. I can't put a car seat in a government vehicle. That's illegal. And so I really relied on my team a lot, which also came with a lot of guilt because you're asking somebody to take someone that they're not recruiting up right. for you. And, and that's I a was, lot of time. Yeah. And I was really lucky to have a really great team, but it doesn't mean that I didn't have like an immense amount of guilt for ask, you know, cause it's a mm. lot to ask somebody. And, um, And also that time driving up to LA is time that you get to bond with the person that you're recruiting that you're, and it's their kind of chance to ask them, you know, ask you personal questions and really, and as a recruiter, I would get to know them 
sometimes on the way there, it's like, hey, uh, I didn't tell you this because I was scared, but I smoked weed last week. And I'm just like, okay, well, we, now we got to turn around because you're yeah, going to yeah, fail the drug test. <laughs> you know? So um, that's, I that's feel like. I feel like that. Yeah. I feel like that first deployment was when Nick was gone. I feel like that, that time of my life was so chaotic and I had a lot of anxiety and depression during that time. And I also kind of feel bad because when I did get a chance to have phone calls with um, Nick while he was deployed, when he would call me, it's always at random times, obviously, because of the time difference. But we never, I feel we never had a good conversation during that deployment. It was always mm-hmm. me just unloading on him about recruiting duty and the baby. And it's like, I totally disregarded the fact that he's in a combat zone, you know? Right. And so now he's, now I feel like I'm put, I put all this burden, my problems on him and he's got to think about what's going on at home. But at the time, it was just like, I don't care what you're doing. This is my, my life sucks right now. And he's like, yeah. my life sucks too, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, no, no, no one can fault you for that because you're a human being and you're going through a lot at that time. You know, you're, you're balancing one of the most stressful jobs in the world with yeah. raising a child. You're away from your spouse for an extended period of time. And yeah. you're away from, you know, your support system, really, because you're, it's not like your, your parents live down the street and, yeah. and can help out your sister being there, you know, like you're, you're in a lot of ways on your own with an infant and mm-hmm. an incredibly stressful job, like not a nine to, to five and you can get out at four kind of a deal. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I feel like recruiting was the absolute worst duty for me to be at in that time. And it's funny, we're talking about recruiting now because I was just, uh, Nick had a going away party um, last weekend um, and someone was asking me about it. And first of all, I want to say that the office I worked in, the people I worked with, the other recruiters, I had an awesome team. Mm. But the duty itself, meaning like the higher ups, like the Marine Corps, as far as recruiting, that's the first time in the Marine Corps I felt like nobody cared about Marines. It's always, it was always about the mission. The Mar- no, no one gave a crap about, you know, a Marine's mental health or um, personal lives. It was just, okay, I don't care about what's going on. What do you have for me this month? You know, you know, yeah. th- that's, that's a terrible, a terrible thing, but yeah. that's, that's the unit leadership's fault, you know? Oh, yeah. um, and having good Marines and good leaderships, uh, sorry, good leaders and good officers like like your husband. Right. That's yeah. what's going to make the difference in the lives of Marines. Yeah. You, you know, in the command that you were at, correct me if I'm wrong, but but, you know, you faced uh, harassment um, at that yeah. same time, actually, really. I mean, um, th- that they, they didn't really have your back at the time. No. Do you want me to talk about that? Um, if, if you're comfortable. Yeah. Um, so I, so while I was working there, there was um, a staff NCO. So he was, someone ranked higher than me, but he wasn't directly my boss. Okay. Um, so th- this was during the time when the Marine Corps had like adjusted their tattoo policy for like the millionth time. So <laughs> I have a tattoo on my left thigh. And they needed to take pictures of it to put in our um, rec- service record books. 
And so we all had to show up to headquarters in our PT gear, our workout gear. Right. And so shorts and a t-shirt kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To get our tattoos, um, like a picture taken of any tattoo larger than the palm of your hand. And um, for females, they were supposed to have a female take the photos. Okay. And this guy insisted that he was going to take it because there wasn't a female up there at the time. And he was like, it's no big deal. I'll take it. And it was super uncomfortable. And he takes Mm. us back into this back room and he's like touching my leg and like grabbing my shorts up. Like it was, and, and nobody else around. No. And, and I'm, I was a Sergeant at the time and I was just, like shocks, like dumbfounded. I was like, I cannot believe like, this is, is this happening. really happening. Yeah. And <sighs> so I reported it to my Sergeant major and, um, he basically talked me into, there's two ways you can report it. It's informal or formal. If you do an informal complaint, nothing happens to the perpetrator. What happens, they get a slap on the wrist, maybe a little counseling paperwork saying, Hey, don't do this again. You know, Right. But But no real consequences. No. And I found out later that it's because a sergeant major and him would drink on weekends or friends. And so um, Mm. he basically the way it was told to me was, hey, um, if you do a formal complaint, you're going to ruin this man's career. He's been in the Marine Corps 20 years. He's a father. And, you know, is this really worth ruining someone's life over? And you know, th- now I'm, he's pulling at my heartstrings. He's like, Oh, he's a father. And to this day, that is like <laughs> uh, my biggest regret is that I did not go through with the formal complaint because, um, it, it just gives, it makes me so mad when I think about it now that he retired and got his full benefits and he has daughters. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. that was totally unacceptable behavior. And there were other females who had made complaints against Hannah. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it shouldn't have been shocking when I reported it, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like I was a little bit ostracized from the, by the command for that. And, um, I kind of left recruiting duty with just a lot of hatred with the, I don't know what you would call it, like the system. Mm -hmm. Cause I love the Marine Corps. I've always loved being a Marine, but I was just like, no one took care of me. And so, yeah. And then, you know, we served together and we had some toxic leadership issues. (laughs) (laughs) And it just, and at that time, I was just like, I'm done. Like, this is BS. And, and, you know, and then I was still, you know, I was dealing with some anxiety and stuff from what had happened on recruiting duty. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it was so much of the act that happened. It was more, I was more traumatized by the fact that nobody like cared. Right. Yeah. Like that was more traumatizing than anything. It's it's poor leadership. And yeah. and you know, um I, I feel like and, and I hope that I'm right, that I'm seeing some changes in the right direction here and there, but it's it's really gonna come down to the right small unit leadership. You know, they could they can yeah put whatever directives in place they want from, you know, eighth and I, but yeah. Uh, it's going to have to, to come down to, you know, small unit leaders like, like your husband. Um, now you, you ended up EASing, which, uh, for those who are are not familiar, she, she, you're you're no longer active duty. You're now, 
uh, a Marine Corps veteran, um, mm-hmm. but then you're still married to an active duty Marine. So what what's that like? Because I'll tell you, I, I EIS and then yeah. I moved to the complete opposite side of the country yeah. and, and I... <laughs> And I am completely separated from the, the Marine Corps in, in so many ways. Um, you know, I'm active yeah. with some veteran groups, but I'm able to kind of walk away. Um, yeah. what, what's it like being around but not having the uniform on? Um, the, fir- the first year, I think, when I got out was probably the hardest. And, you know, I think every veteran goes through that transition period when they get out. You kind of lose your sense of purpose and... Um, I don't know if you felt that way, but it's just like, man, oh, yeah. you know, and, and then you're like, man, did I make the right decision to get out? Like, you know, you're, you're thinking, rethinking all your decisions because mm-hmm. you no longer have that camaraderie. And there are just some things about the Marine Corps that you can't replicate that those right. kinds of relationships as a civilian. And so, um, but for me, cause I'm married to an active duty Marine, I had a lot of resentment because he was going to work every day in uniform. <laughs> right. And, that caused a lot of tension in our marriage because Nick is like, uh, you wanted to get out. You couldn't wait to get out. Like the last year you were in, you were just like ready to burn the place down. And he's like, I don't understand what this attitude is now. And he now, you know, we've been through counseling, lots of marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, now he knows that there is a transition phase for every veteran. Yep. And, for me, I was going through that transition. And then I also had resentment because I was just like, well, you get to still be a Marine and do fun Marine things. And I was just, I felt like, and I was a stay at home mom for the first two years after I got out and Mm -hmm. look, it it ain't glamorous. (laughs) (laughs) It's not glamorous and there's no recognition. And I always tell people, you don't realize in the Marine Corps how much praise you get, you know, like you do something good. You even like a letter of appreciation, which we laugh about, but that Mm -hmm. still feels good when someone recognizes, Hey, thanks for volunteering this weekend. You know, right. That kind of all goes away when you get out. No one else, no one is telling you good job and um, giving you awards. And so when that all kind of disappeared, I didn't realize that I was a words of affirmation, love language person, until it was gone. I was like, oh man, like no one is telling me great job for keeping your child alive today. you know. <laughs> and so I think that was like the hardest part. And then also I grew up in a culture in the Marine Corps. It, it still kind of exists. It's gotten a little better, but military spouses are made fun of and stereotyped. And I used to participate in Yeah, I was about to say I've been guilty of it and since you know, since growing up a little bit, I, I kinda cringe when I, I think about some of the jokes that I've made. Yeah. And I participated in those jokes too. And so then I was just like, Well, I got out and I was like, I do not want to be a military spouse. Never label me that. And like I was very adamant when we went places with Nick for his work. I was like, I just got out of the Marine Corps. I like, I feel like I had a lead with that, you know? Right. And cause I didn't want to there, you know, I didn't want to fall, fall into the dependa category. And <laughs> I was like, there's no way I'm going to be stereotyped like the way I used to stereotype right. military spouses. And, um, it really just kind of took 
a couple years of being married to Nick and just kind of following him around with his career mm-hmm. um, and meeting some pretty incredible military spouses who I was just like, wow, like <laughs> they're, I mean, well, we both, we have a mutual friend whose wife is a freaking attorney, Wow, you know, and she, you know, he's been stationed in California and now they're in North Carolina and she has had to take the bar in both California and North Carolina, like twice because her credentials don't transfer over. And I'm like, man, there are some, I mean, and that's just one example, but Mm -hmm. I just met an incredible network of military spouses, many of them veterans themselves, um, who are just really doing amazing things and wanting to advocate for better lives for military and service members and families. And, um, I think that has what's kind of made my mind shift a little bit or a lot, not a little bit, a lot. And I kind of embrace the title now. Like, you know, I enjoy supporting Nick and then I have my own thing and um, just found a cool community of people that are friends. Well, I, I know that that you know you're you're not the type to to brag, so uh, I'll let you humble brag a little bit by bringing it up myself. Um, you were awarded Military Spouse of the Year, is that correct? Uh, yeah, for for <laughs> MCAS Yuma. That's that's incredible. Um, now, now, how did you how did you get involved in 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 the MFAN organization and 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 giving back to the level where where you reach that that recognition? Um, so MFAN is the Military Family Advisory Network, and it's a not it's another nonprofit. But what I love about that organization and why I got involved is there are so many advocacy groups out there, great advocacy groups for veterans and military families. Um, you know, some big ones off the top of my head is like the Semper Fi Fund. And so right. I feel like the nonprofit world is kind of saturated with a lot of advocacy advocacy groups. Mm-hmm. there's resources everywhere. But what um, the cool thing about MFAN is we don't do advocacy work. We do um, research-based work. And then we take that research and the research is all done peer-to-peer through an advisory board, which I sit on the advisory board right now, mm-hmm. um, through surveys. And then they present those results to advocacy groups or people in Congress who are lobbying for um, military families. Um, and it's been, it's been really cool to be a part of that process and um, be part of an organization that helps other organizations serve their, serve the military community better, if that makes any sense. No, it does. And, yeah. and you know, veterans need more support than, than most people realize. Yeah. I, I've come across and it, and it's not, a, you know, it's not incredibly common or anything. It's not uh, uh, too bad. But I do come across sometimes civilians who feel, well, look, you know, you, uh, you didn't do very much or, uh, you know, you already got your GI Bill. You know, you, you yeah. got you got this or you got that. And and, you know, what's the big deal? There's plenty of programs for veterans, but so many veterans struggle when they get out with identity, because like you said, you know, they're used to being a part of this, this thing bigger than themselves is the, the Marine Corps putting on that uniform. And mm-hmm. now they have to kind of find their own way. They struggle with employment issues with, with mm-hmm. family issues and then PTSD. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. 
And I feel like, um, you know, I've been kind of blessed with, with my journey as a veteran, but, um, I've been involved with the VFW and, and, uh, Marine Corps league and a few other organizations where I've seen folks that have, have really, um, struggled since getting out. And if it's not for folks like yourself that are reaching out to fellow veterans where they can connect and identify, mm-hmm. um, then it can be really lonely. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It, it's tough I, stuff. But you know what I've noticed, um, just in our peer group, um, from people that you and I have served with, mm-hmm. I really feel like, and I know that college is not for everybody, but I really feel like people who have gone and gotten an education, it doesn't have to be a college degree, but whether it's a vocational school or technical school, um, are faring a lot better than those who have not taken advantage of some of these benefits. And I've seen that as a trend just when I look through social media and see who's doing well and um, who's struggling. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, that's very true. And, and both the traditional route, like Corey Cody, I don't know if you remember him. He, he just got his MBA um, and mm-hmm. he's doing really well in South Florida. But then the non-traditional route, if you remember, um, there was a guy, I, I know it was towards the end of your career, but this was um, across the hall in gun shop. There was a guy named Taylor Garcia. Um, yeah. He is now a helicopter pilot. Um, you know, uh, you can mm-hmm. go the non-traditional route in your education, but, but definitely using the GI bill and getting some sort of an education, um, yeah. you know, is, is, is the key, I think, you know, I also feel when I went to college on the GI bill and connecting with other veterans in college and also being part of a college and having that identity, like I'm a huge, I went to Texas A&M, so, you know, I'm a huge Aggie, <laughs> you know, I'm a, but I feel like having that sense of belonging again to something yep. is, um, was really good. It was really good for my mental health and, um, kind of, kind of grounded me a little bit back, you know, from this, oh, woe is me. I, you know, have no identity. And so I feel like that, um, also really helped me. That's why I tell people, like, I'm not using my degree, <laughs> but I tell Hannah, I've lost you. Use it. Sorry. Are you, um, could you repeat that? I lost you briefly. Oh, I said, just, um, just go for the experience, even if you're not going to use that degree, because um, I, I feel like the experience, it's, I don't want, you can't compare it to the military, but it's no. very similar to a, not an online school like if you can actually go to a campus and connect and feel part of something bigger than yourself you know yeah yeah that, i mean it's it's super uh it's it's key it's uh yeah. like you said the the marine corps is kind of like a family to a degree i mean yes there are some some bad leaders here and there but i mean you and i still keep in touch yeah. with so many of the people that we served with because there is a family aspect to it um and very, very dysfunctional family. Yes. Yes. Very much so. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, when you leave uh, and everybody else continues on in their own way, um, yeah. whether, whether they get out and move back to where they're from or, or they stay in and they, they go to the next duty station, it, mm-hmm. it can sometimes be a little jarring. Um, now that you're, you know, a, a military spouse and a veteran and a mom <laughs> and, and, you know, involved in non- nonprofits. I mean, you, you found belonging in a number of, of places. 
Yeah. Um, but, you know, that first year is is extremely hard. Let me ask you, now that you're raising two children um, in, in a, a military community of sorts, right, in a military mm-hmm. environment where they're having to adjust and make new friends um, because you guys are moving from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you because I know that, you know, this is not your first move that that you're coming up on right now. Right. How, how did you balance that as a mother um, raising kids in, in different places? Um, so I have a daughter that is almost a teenager now. And so it's a lot harder on her. So I don't have all the answers still. I feel like, I feel like (laughs) we just kind of fly by the seat of our pants and, um, we, the biggest thing for my kids is we try and get them involved in things as soon as we go somewhere and that, so they can make friends and feel like they're part of something. Um, that's, that's, you know, crucial. Yeah. So my daughter's a gymnast. And so, and my son does Taekwondo. Those are two things that we can find at almost every duty station. And so we, um, that's one thing, as soon as we get somewhere, we're like, all right, let's find the gym and sign them up and get them um, into a gym or a class. And so they can start at least being part of the community. And then um, I think another thing is just kids are so resilient Mm-hmm. I know it's so cliche to say that, but they truly are more than uh, we give them credit for. Yeah. And they, I feel like they, my, I feel like my kids fare better in this life than I do most days because there's, <laughs> I stress out about everything and I'm a planner, meaning I have to know, you know, what's going on a month ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And my kids are very, they're go with the flow and I can always tell when they're a little anxious, like this week is you know, things are coming down off the walls and I know they're coming home from school and things are changing and, you know, they're having to say goodbye to friends. And I can tell they're a little bit anxious about that because they're acting out a little bit, they're moody. And, but just being able to recognize that. And um, I know Nick and I were talking last night because our kids are not themselves lately. They're a little bit more irritable and it's easy as parents to want to punish them and discipline them. And he was like, I really had to step back because I know they're going through a lot of changes right now. And I think just recognizing that is helps us navigate all the transitions. And, and another thing is I've talked to a lot of um, military brats who are now adults and they are like, I am so not a single one has said that they hated being a military brat. They're, they were all grateful for the experience and they feel like, that experience made them um, better adults when it comes to communication and connecting with people. And so, yeah, so I have, I have big hopes and dreams for my kids. (laughs) Well, they, they, they seem amazing. Everything you've shared about them um, is just uh, truly inspiring. I'm trying to do uh, even half as good as as you guys have done um, with, with my daughter. Um, I know she's so cute. I'm, I'm incredibly, uh, you know, proud to have served with you and to have learned from you. I feel like you take on the leader role naturally, whether you want to or not, whether you, whether you really (laughs) want to be in that role or not, but you, you just really do. And I, I would imagine that other military spouses look to you, um, you know, for support and for advice and for a number of things because you've served, because when their spouse is deployed, they, they know that not only have you been in their shoes, but you yourself have been deployed. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of, 
I guess wisdom comes with experience, right? So there's a lot of wisdom that that you carry with you. You can um, say old. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't even think I don't even think you're you're really any older than I am. Um, because I joined late. Uh, that's but, yeah. But perhaps um, I I I'll tell you I um I'm very 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 proud of you guys um and and inspired. Uh, Thank and you. I'll, well, I'm I'll, proud I'll... of you too. I have to say that I told you that, but I have loved like seeing your journey as well, and I think Thanks. you're doing great. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so so if anybody wants to uh, follow you on social media, I know you do a lot for the military community, um, and for the the veteran community. Um, and your journey is just really really cool. If anybody wants to follow you, where can they find you? Um, uh, on social media. Um, on Instagram, I'm Semper Ag, like Semperfy, but Semper <laughs> and then Ag, A-G, like Aggie, and then blog, which I don't, I my, I have not written in my blog in like two years, but <laughs> Semper Ag is taken, so that's just what what we're going with. And then, gotcha. um, gosh, this is so embarrassing, but <laughs> on, on TikTok, I'm Semper Ag on TikTok. I'm nice. going to tell you something because we, I, my husband has a woodworking business mm-hmm. and um, we post woodworking stuff on there and then some content about military life on there too. Mm-hmm. And somehow my account has blown up. So I have like 67,000 followers on TikTok. You're, you are TikTok famous. Are you doing TikTok dances? Is, this, is that what's no, going on? No, I am not doing dances. Um, <laughs> but we do, we do talk about some serious things on there. It's a great platform. Um, like I've talked about Nick, Nick's very open about his, he has traumatic brain injuries, which mm-hmm. is linked to PTSD. And so we've um, talked a little bit about that on there with some making cool videos. And then a lot of his woodworking is on there. And then uh, we generally just make fun of veteran life. So. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a lot to, to, you know, to poke fun at there. Um, yeah. I definitely want to have Nick on eventually. Um, yes, you need I, to have him on. <laughs> I want I want to hear some some uh, of what he's gone through so that uh, any veterans listening don't feel alone, um, because I feel like if they can hear from somebody that that has felt what they've felt and gone through what they've gone through, um, there's a connection there. Um, so, you know, if he could share some of his stories from Fallujah and then also to promote um, the woodworking business, because. Uh, Bell's old, old Glory is uh, pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I've, I've been following it. I uh, I'm dropping hints. Uh, see if uh-huh. Natalie places an order around Father's Day. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, uh, yeah. R- really and truly um, impressed with with what you guys have going on. I wish you guys the very best in Monterey, and um, I'll definitely have to have you guys on again sometime. Yeah, of course. All righty, uh, thanks. And that'll do it for another episode of the Know It Some podcast. My thanks again to our guest, Hannah Romer, for not just her time, but being willing to share her story and kind of open a lot of eyes to the sacrifices that are made by enlisted uh, and commissioned service members. Um, Combat veterans and and service members face a lot of struggles, and I think this raises a lot of awareness to what those struggles can look like and how we can overcome them. Um, Your story is extremely inspiring. And I suggest everybody check her out at Semper Ag Blog. Um, Definitely worth a social media follow there. If you haven't already, please go and leave us a five-star ranking on Apple, folks. Those of you who have done so already have have helped us 
tremendously and booking interesting guests for the future. We have a lot of great guests coming up and I can't thank you enough for the support. It's amazing to see the podcast climb the charts the way that it has. And then lastly, we are on social media. Know it's some pod on Twitter, know it's some pod on Instagram, and now know it's some pod on TikTok. Uh, I feel like I'm 86 on there. Give me some time to bring you guys some great content. The good thing is I only have two followers, so I can't really embarrass myself too much just yet, but go ahead and follow us on there. I really appreciate all the support. See you next week.